0: Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, April 25th, 2021, we continue our series titled Uncommon Joy, the Book of Philippians. Today's sermon, Light for the World, will be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Enjoy. You know, to trust in God, in His goodness of His light, it's not that hard. But to trust in Him in the dark, that's faith. Last week, Pastor Mark talked about consistent obedience with continual dependence. that part where Paul last week said work out your salvation because it's God who works in you, both to will and for his good pleasure. But what do you do? What do you do in life when you're filled with affliction, when there's difficulties, when there's suffering, when there's not a moment of health or wealth Or any inkling of happiness. This place that we call a crooked path, where things aren't just easily going straight. The wisdom in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 13 says Consider the work of God. Look at what you're to consider. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what He, God, has made crooked? We don't think about God this way. We think that God is, is making our paths easy and our burden light. And it's true, if you depend and trust in him, your paths will be easy and your burden will in fact be light. But what do we do in the moments of great difficulty? I know that right here, by crooked, he means those unforeseen troubles. Troubles. Troubles that afflict, they unsettle, they disturb us in any way they possibly can. You see, today's message is a pastoral wisdom and a help for God's people who are experiencing what Paul calls in Romans 8.18, the sufferings of this present age. But today, I really want you to hear the Apostle Paul's heart his affection for the people at Philippi, and how they should experience suffering or affliction while also being a light in a world of darkness. Just as a reminder, in the past weeks, we covered verses such as chapter one, verse 29. It says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, talking about Paul here, and now here that I still have. Paul wrestling with his continued side, the thorn in his side, the persecution, the hardships, the imprisonments, the shipwrecks, the stonings, Verse, chapter two, verse two, it says, Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Man, we're going to see that today. What, What joy comes from being of the same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Or maybe in... Verse uh, chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore, because of all this, God has highly exalted him, talking about Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's master of our life. You were once saved. And then the lordship of Jesus is taking you down a path where he is transforming you and conforming you to the image of himself. Someone in the last service told me afterwards a beautiful statement. She says, you know, Pastor Jeff, you can't have a testimony unless you've first been tested. We go down this path to the glory of God the Father. Or last week, Mark talked about work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. When you understand that there's difficulty, there's suffering, there's affliction that's in the path that is to come, then you tend to work out the salvation that's been given to you as a gift from God with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. It is God who both to will and to work for his good pleasure. But today's text, starting in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling. Wow, I'm lost, right there. (laughs) Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Lost again, I can't even dispute, I can't argue over it. Why? That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation Our Father and our God, Lord, we take these words and we pray, Lord, and ask that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts to see them as so true that, Lord, it tells me how to handle tomorrow, how I can take the situations of life and hold them in the light of your glory, to your glory, in Christ's name, amen. I want to start by saying that all persecution is affliction. All persecution is affliction. But not all affliction is persecution. When you do something such as break a law, run a red light, you can't sit there and say, "Why God, Why?" <laughs> but whether your affliction is from persecution or the results of a fallen world or of just another fa- follow or a fallen person. It is our job, by the command of God, that we would shine as lights in the world. For you are a child of God. You are without blemish because of the works and the righteousness of Christ. And you are to stand in opposition to what a crooked and twisted generation that exists. You are an ambassador. You are a light on a shining hill. You are, in fact, a Representing the person of Jesus Christ. Or as James tells us, consider it pure joy when we encounter various trials. Man, I would love a line item veto on that word when. I'd love to just cross it out. Because, brothers and sisters, if you're not in a trial right now, one is coming. The trials of life shape us into the person of Jesus Christ. I want to introduce you to um, not only a friend, a brother, but many of you know that uh, Jill and I have raised four daughters. Um, I always joked and called it my small estrogen farm. <laughs> but somewhere back in the, in the 1990s, God brought me a group of young men These five guys call themselves the bros. They today are 43 years old and they today continue to follow Jesus Christ. God gave them as a gift to me, a blessing to lead in Bible study, uh, to pour my life into. All of them are precious and dear to me. But today, I want to introduce you to one of them. His name is Paul and his wife is Jamie. Paul and Jamie... Jamie, uh, Jill actually first met because Jill was a preschool teacher for her when she was, in fact, in preschool. Paul, I met when he was about 17 years old. He had just lost his father going through that difficult time of being a young man, one of six kids, and just lost, needing a father figure. I regard Paul to this day as my son. I poured everything into that man. Paul is this kind of kid that, I remember when he was probably in his, in his early 20s, he would call us, um, really looking for Jill to answer the phone, uh, so that he could ask what we're having for dinner. <laughs> One of my favorite moments was rounding the corner, coming to our garage which was open, and seeing Paul with shopping bags, shopping in my freezer. We fed Paul both physically and spiritually. Paul is a co-laborer. He's a dear brother in the Lord. He and I did youth ministry for years as I mentored him. He joined me in our houseboat ministry and he, alongside me, would share the gospel tirelessly. I remember one year on a houseboat trip, we had just finished a week with uh, 150 high school kids. And uh, Paul's wife, Jamie, was up there that week and uh, she was about eight months pregnant. And uh, she left to go back home, we had another week to go. And uh, we were, you know, most of the way through the second, the second week and uh, we were just, you know, just exhausted. But Paul said to me, you know, um, like most houseboat trips, you know, uh, letting a secret out of the bag to you uh, students, we picked places because there is no cell site. (laughs) So, secret's out. Um, We're at Lake Don Pedro, which is up near uh, Merced or Sonora. And uh, we we were up there and there is no cell site on this lake. But Paul says to me, "He says I'm going to hike to the top of that hill and see if I can't get a cell signal." So he gets up there, he gets about one bar, and uh, he doesn't uh, doesn't able to dial out. But he was able to listen to his voicemails. And on one of those voicemails was his wife, Jamie, and she said, "Paul, something is wrong with the baby, and I need you home." Paul hiked down that hill, and he came like he had just seen a ghost. And he says, Jeff, I don't know what to do. He says, I'm here, I'm halfway through this camp, I've been sharing the gospel with these kids and and if I leave, then it's going to be a new speaker and maybe the relationships, and I'm like, Paul, stop. You need to go home. He says, but how? How am I going to go home? He says, we're up in the middle of nowhere, Jeff, and if I take the truck, then you have no way of getting home. I said, we'll figure it out, man. There's got to be a way. God will provide. And you're, you're sharing 150 square feet with 150 human beings, right? So there's, this isn't a private conversation. <laughs> One of the men who was up with the other camp, but we didn't know him personally, but he says, hey, listen, guys, I couldn't over here. He says, I can get you home if you need to get home. And we're thinking, well, uh, you know, then you have to leave your kids. He goes, no, 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 no. He says, I'll get you home and then I'll be back. Like, how? He says, well, my plane is just right down the street. I'll fly you there. I'll get you there. So Paul packed up and left. We hugged. We prayed. Um, He got home in time. Um, He got home just in time to be a part of the birth. And as soon as that birth uh, was done, just as quickly, the Lord called Nathaniel home. What a trial. What a difficulty. How does one stand firm in the light when the pill is so hard to swallow? Paul's going to tell us here in a negative the Apostle Paul, not my, my friend Paul. He says in verse 17. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. All things. How does one take that moment and do it without grumbling? Without disputing, without arguing with God? My point one is this. There's no complaining and there's no arguing. Sounds like we're on a road trip with our kids. How easy it would be for Paul to grumble and argue with God over such a dark season. Grumbling, of course, means to complain or grumble or to whisper or private talk, murmuring or to dispute means to argue with lack of contentment. Paul also told us kind of a different way of saying the same thing. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Those three direct statements that he makes in 1 Thessalonians, we should be mindful of why we should have this kind of uncommon joy And to simply state it, it's because it's God's will. It's not just God's will that you would be allowed to have uncommon joy, it's his command. He says we should take our needs to the Lord by saying pray without ceasing. And thirdly, he tells us we should be filled with gratitude while doing so. Rejoice always. You see, when you know who Jesus Christ is and you know what the test is, the trials of life can be considered pure joy because of the one whom sent them. For we know that God is working all things to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We know that he works all things to the good and also to his glory. So why would we do this? Look at verse 15. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. John Wesley was the one who said, What use would we have for the stars if the sun were to shine all day? We wouldn't even know they exist. You see, the darkness, when it surrounds us, reveals the glorious light and draws everybody's attention to the light. As Paul just said, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, in the midst of darkness. You see, the world grumbles and it disputes. So don't be the world. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewal of your mind. We have a tendency to want to go towards Genesis 50 verse 20 to explain this thing where Joseph is talking to his brothers and he says, what you did for evil, God meant for good. We call that the doctrine of concurrence. I like Pastor Bob's explanation of it better. It's a mystery. How in fact does what I or others do for evil somehow get meant for God's good, I don't know. But probably a better way of looking at this would be to look at the person of Jesus Christ. Can you think of anyone who was tested more than anyone? Who sent the test? God the Father. To be mocked, to be tortured. be whipped, to be beaten, to stand and endure the cross, to be in the light, surrounded by darkness, literal darkness that came over the land because at that moment, Jesus Christ was separated from God the Father for the first time in all eternity. That's a crooked path. Consider the work of God. God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? You see, we're to be tested in all ways. And while we're being tested, we are to, Ephesians 5, one, be imitators of God as beloved children. Or later in Matthew five, you're told, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others, why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The trials and the difficulties of life are so that the light will be shown upon you and how you handle it in contrast to the rest of the world. Paul wants us to exercise grace as children of God. It's so important for church and church people to know how God works through suffering. Because there's little else that will help to reorient our perspective than suffering. Brothers and sisters, in your teaching, in your praying, in your discipleship, do you present God as so sovereign over suffering that he is working even amidst life's painful circumstances? Do you present godliness as a greater value than the absence of suffering? Or do you feel the need to apologize for God because people's circumstances are not as they wish? You see, this is why Thomas gave us the what would Jesus do bracelets. A simple reminder to be an imitator of Christ so that your light will shine in a very, very dark world. We are to be contrast. Why? Verse 16, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. How does someone hold fast to the word of life? We hold fast to the word of God. Psalm 119, 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know, there were times with Paul and the bros that I felt like I was laboring in vain. Like most 17 to 20-something-year-olds, some of their decisions were what we call Stupid. And I would be a hypocrite not to say that I didn't make those same errors. But I was there to be a mentor. I was there to be a disciple maker. I was there to point them to the word of Christ so that they could hide it in their heart and not sin as a result. Philippians 1, Paul told us, he said, I thank my God in all remembrance of you Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Because of our partnership, Pastor Bob spoke about that in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this. Here's what I'm sure of. That he, God, who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We need to pray God's word into the darkness. We need to rejoice over God's plan. And we must remind ourselves that it's always God's plan. There's difficulty in that. But there's something incredible that takes place in that moment when you see your disciple, when I see my disciple Paul transform into a disciple maker. That moment leaves you speechless and overcome with joy because you know at that moment you did not labor in vain. God at moments gives us this little brief peek above the tapestry. I remember as a young boy, my mom would constantly be doing needlepoint. I remember laying on the floor and looking up and saying, man, what she's making is horrible. <laughs> then of course you get up and you walk behind her and you're just like, Wow, that's impressive, it's incredible. God gives us those moments. Verse 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and will rejoice with all of you. Paul uses this term, a drink offering, it's a metaphor for the blood of Jesus that's spilled on the cross. In 2 Timothy four, Paul uses it again because he's at the end of his ministry and he's comparing his efforts to wine that is being poured out on the sacrificial altar, bringing an aroma, a sweetness to the sacrifice. My point four here today is to sacrifice everything for faith to sacrifice everything for faith. And some reason my brain's tell me I didn't tell you point three, which is look for proud moments. But number four is to sacrifice everything for faith. The world grumbles and disputes, and it yells I have rights. When I stand on my rights, I'm no longer dying to self. And contentment in God's growth strategy is gone. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? You see, there's nothing in this world worth keeping. Spend everything. Spend everything to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. no matter what happens in this spending, know that God's in control. Look at verse 18. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. That means even in the things that aren't going the way that you prayed. Lord, would you heal me from cancer? Rejoice. Lord, you've not healed me from cancer. Rejoice. Rejoice. That's what Paul's talking about here. There is a reciprocal joy that the relationship of that sacrifice to the work that God is doing because it produces that which is incredible, uncommon joy. We rejoice in it. My point five is this, contentment is in God's plan. Contentment in God's plan and everything is in God's plan. Paul's gonna later tell us in Philippians four, he's gonna say, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation, all situations, every kind of situation, I am to be content. Second Corinthians four, 17 through 18, it says, tells us, Paul's gonna tell us, that these moments of affliction are Light. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're perishing, but to the things that are unseen, they're eternal. Do we attack our difficulties this way? You see, when we grumble over affliction in life, we are simply stating I'm not content with God's plan and I don't like the growth that he desires for me. We tend to think of affliction as meaningless moments. They're far from meaningless. If we rejoice in God's plan, then we get it. It becomes meaningful. The afflictions of our life are meaningful. They're difficult. Don't pray for them. Don't ask God to bring me more affliction. Trust God, he will. John Piper, paraphrasing him on the subject of affliction, he says this. He says, not only is all our affliction momentary, not only is all our affliction light in comparison to eternity and the glory that comes, But all of it is totally meaningful. Every moment of our pain from the fallen world, every moment of our misery in the path of obedience is producing a specific glory that we will receive because of that affliction. You see, it doesn't matter if it was cancer or criticism. It doesn't matter if it was slander or sickness. The moment is not meaningless because it's doing something. It's not meaningless. Of course, you can't see what it's doing, but don't look for what is seen. Trust the one who sent the trial. When your mom dies, when your kid dies, when you've got cancer at 40, when your child doesn't know Christ, or your spouse doesn't love you anymore, it's not meaningless. It's meaningful. And it's working for you as an eternal weight of glory. Don't lose heart in the middle of it. But take these truths and day by day focus on them. Preach them to yourself every morning. Get alone with God and preach his word into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are a child of the most high God. My brother... My disciple, Paul, he did not let the affliction with the death of his son, Nathaniel, to cause him to grumble or dispute, but his heart sings with confidence in his Savior's plan. On that day, he made my joy complete. That moment that you see your disciple surpass you in the Lord. For years, Paul would say to me, man, I hope in one day I will know God's word the way that you know God's word. But at that moment that I watched Paul in dealing with this affliction, with this difficulty, brothers and sisters, I wish I knew Christ the way that this young man knows Christ. Oh, to know Christ this way. It's true in 3rd John, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. But where the apostle Paul is going here in Philippians 3, 8, he says, indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, as my master. And for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. There is nothing greater than knowing and having an intimate personal relationship with the person of Jesus Christ to the mom or the dad out there that has experienced the loss of a child. What my disciple Paul was singing with confidence is that Nathaniel was laid in the arms of a loving and a just God. And Paul, through his persistent obedience, but his continual dependence, can only hope in a loving and a trusting and just God. Paul knew with confidence He knew that this was the day that the Lord made. He knew that he would be glad and that he would rejoice in it. And that he would be a light in a dark world. Because he knows Jesus Christ. Listen to Paul's words that he said to the congregation after the loss of his son. He says, some gifts you hold in your hand while some you hold in your heart. He was delivered and given back to God on August 9th, 2006 at 1026 p.m. He was three pounds, 12 ounces, 17 inches long. And his name is Nathaniel James. Paul would write in his journal. He says, it's Wednesday morning. I'm outside my in-laws. This is the first time that I felt like writing about what happened I could choose to remember all the negatives about God taking our first son. But my heart just won't let me. I think if I still had my sinful heart of stone inside of me, that that's what I'd be thinking about. But that simply isn't me anymore. God took away the heart, that heart, a long time ago and gave me a heart of flesh that he's been molding and shaping for times such as this. I think a lot of people wonder why Jamie and I are are not mad at God. It's simple. When you know who God is, you no longer have to worry about who he isn't or what he's doing. I can't exactly explain how this fleshed itself out, but Jamie and I, within hours of hearing and knowing what happened and what was to come, had a peace beyond all understanding. We had calmness, That this world cannot explain. We saw and experienced God work like in the Old Testament that we've only read about. For a brief moment, I believe God allowed us to see the top of the tapestry. From the bottom, it's not pretty and nothing makes sense. But on the top, not only is it beautiful and perfectly orchestrated, But you get to see the master orchestrator himself. And once you've seen him, nothing else will matter. For I am to be still and to know that he is God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. As we close off here. I want to give you just five takeaways. I want you to be assured. No grumbling, no disputing. For all affliction, all difficulties are but momentary. Takeaway two be a light in a twisted world. Because you're a child of God. No matter what the world throws at you, don't forget that simple truth. You're a child of God and you represent the family of God. Be proud of what God is doing, for you are not laboring in vain. Be poured out as a drink offering. Spend and be spent, for eternity is yet before you. Be content because God is in control. Rejoice, no matter what the circumstances. It's the day that the Lord has made. You see, to trust in God in the light, that's nothing. But to trust him in the dark, that's faith. Our Father and God, bless us now, Lord, as we sing songs of worship and praise to you that you, Lord, would use us in all ways. I'm often accused of not telling the rest of the story. Paul and Jamie, um, Paul is a pastor in a church in San Diego and loves the Lord and and preaches and teaches the word of God. He and Jamie now have uh, three beautiful boys, Jedediah, Simeon, and Titus. marvelous parents at sharing the gospel to their kids to their church body to God be the glory right God gives us these brief moments but as that person told me after the last service right you don't have a testimony until you've first been tested may God refine you into the image of his son It's in his name that we pray. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. Minister to one another.